declare the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding as a result of this I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord I am pleasing him in all respects I'm bearing fruit in every good work and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God now again I incline my ears to his word the word is entering my heart it is giving me light and direction it is healing me in every area and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus in the name of Jesus Christ amen amen I said amen. amen. All right, that will be your testimony today in Jesus' name. Amen. This word that is coming is doing something fresh in your life amen. in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, can I greet somebody on your left and your right and just bless the person? Okay, let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians. I want to start from there today. And today will be the final in the series of um, that message which we titled Neither Murmur Ye, even though we ended up not saying much about murmuring. We ended up speaking on the main thing about the call for a deeper walk with God. So we had to include that as part of the title. The book of Philippians chapter 2. We are going to read two portions. First of all, Philippians chapter 2. Then you will open to the book of Romans chapter 8. Now from verse um, 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or from empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, or have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a born servant, and being made in the likeness of men. He said in verse 8, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee we bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please bear this in mind. Quickly open to the book of Romans chapter 8. Remember I said we are going to read two portions to commence. This book of Philippians chapter 2 and also now the book of Romans chapter 8. Now, this one is going to be a bit of a lengthy reading, but let me see where I can... Okay, that will read about 17 verses. I may jump a few verses here to save time. It said, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, being weak as it, as it was through the flesh, God did 
sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh and those who are according to the spirit on things of the spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death or produces death but the mind that is set on the spirit produces life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Please notice that verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, that same spirit of God was what he now referred to the next line. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, the same thing I was talking about, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, please bear this in mind. Again, he's talking about that spirit. If Christ is in you, even though the body is dead because of sin or subject to death because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness, or the Spirit will give it life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and that's why I read that one the way I did, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, we've established earlier, he was saying, you will die. He said, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He said, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Let me just stop reading here so as to save some time. Now, please notice something that he said here, that... For those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now, that's the main reason why we read um, this portion of the book of Romans. Just wanted to take it in context and do some reading of the Word of God. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Now, um, let me come to a conclusion of what we have been teaching in the last few weeks on this uh, matter of um, a closer walk with God is titled neither more more ye, but we're talking about a deeper walk with God. That's what God just led us into, and I just have to stick with that. And we have been talking about the issue of sonship for a few meetings now, and I established the fact that when Jesus was spoken about by the Father, that this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, that he was not just talking about the fact that he was conceived of a virgin and then he was born like that, so he was a seed of God. No, that's not all. What he was saying is that this young man that you are seeing has been tested. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was saying that he had been trained and he had been tested. So that was like declaring his result. This is my beloved son. And we said that that is what God is looking for. We established last time that any place where God wants to go, we saw that from the book of Luke, we didn't read it, chapter 10, that God chose them two by two and send them ahead into every place that he was going to come to. So anywhere God wants to go, he has to send somebody ahead. But our emphasis was that Jesus complained about something. 
He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So he said that um, he had 70, remember. Now we said that he could have sent more if he would have sent more, rather. He would have sent more if he had more. But he did not have. That was why he lamented and said the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. So we are saying that is a problem that God has today. And what is God looking for? He's looking for people that have been trained by him. I said something, that sonship is not just that I give my life to Christ. That's not what Christianity is. I'm not a Christian just because one day I answered an altar call. Christianity is discipleship. I think I have to spend a minute on that. Christianity is not the answer than altar call. People, the people I said that no, once you give your life to Christ, you can never lose your salvation. Now, I don't have time for that argument because to me it has no meaning. I hope you're getting my point. That thing has no meaning. That thing has no meaning. The true Christianity is discipleship. God, he said, go and make what? Disciples. That is, the disciples were called Christians. It is disciples that are called Christians. It is not just somebody who gave his life to Christ. Many people came to Jesus, they interacted with him, and they started giving, you know, um, conditions and explaining some things uh, that you know, I need to go home and go and bury my father. And he would tell them, listen, people like you are not worthy of the kingdom. And he told them like that. That is, those who came to him and were not ready to follow and become disciples, let's put modern words to it now, they are not worthy to be called Christians. I hope you're getting my point here. Christianity is what? Discipleship. People are being trained. It is that training we are talking about. That's what Christianity is. Discipleship is training. Discipleship is that I'm being trained. And what is the purpose? To become like him. He said, the, 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 there's something he said. This pupil or the disciple is not greater like his master. Is not greater than his master. He said, but every disciple, when he has been trained, will become like his master. That was what Jesus said. I hope you're getting my point here. The aim of Christianity is for us to become like Jesus. The aim of Christianity is not prosperity. The aim of Christianity is not long life. The aim of Christianity is not healing. The aim of Christianity is not promotion. The aim of Christianity is not we will now occupy big offices so that we will know that our God is good. The aim of Christianity is one thing, to produce people who are exactly like the Lord Jesus. That is the aim of Christianity. We need to say it again. That is one thing that is unique about it. You don't find any other way people worship that they have that aim of becoming like somebody. They don't have it. I don't know any. I've studied around a bit. I don't know any. Many things that people do in what they call worship is just methods of doing, gaining some things for themselves. In Christianity, the aim is not even heaven. I hope you're getting my point. It is not okay, do all of this and then one day you will go to heaven. That is not the aim. All right? Heaven is where you belong, naturally speaking, if you're a true child of God. The aim of Christianity is that God is through Jesus replicating himself in human beings. Jesus was the firstborn in that dimension. God was replicating him. There's any time you see Jesus. He said, how long, he said, how long have I been with you? He was telling Philip, you are still saying, um, show us the Father. He said, if anyone has seen me, he has done what? He has seen the Father. And when the book of Hebrews was going to introduce him, all right? Hebrews chapter 1. He said he's the exact image. I just feel like reading it again. Quickly, open the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Please, let's bear it in mind. Christianity, that is what it is about. Let me just read that verse. In verse 3, talking about the Lord. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Please bear that in mind. He said in that verse 3, the sun radiates God's own glory 
and expresses the very character of God. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. That is what Jesus is. is the exact representation of his nature. The Bible says that this is what he was trying to do. If you read further down in 2 chapter 2, that he was bringing many sons to glory. We read that last time. This is the aim of Christianity, that each one becomes just this kind of description, that each one becomes the exact representation of God's nature. All our lives, that's what God is doing. In all our experiences, that's what he's doing. God is not just trying to solve problems for people. He's taking whatever is not like him in us and is removing that. Please, I hope you're getting my point. That is what Christianity is. Let's not ever take our minds away from that. Many times when we are learning the word these days, people focus on so many other things. People even think it is a way by which they kill, oh God, annual witch killing conference. You know, the first time I saw that, that was a joke. Until I got to Port Harcourt, and with my two koro koro eyes, like we say, I saw the billboard, massive, spanning across the road. Annual witch killing conference. I forbid you in the name of Jesus from going to such programs. How can you do that? Is that what Christianity is? Annual, and they do it annually. Which shows you which did not die last year. Otherwise, there will have been no need to gather yearly. To <laughs> I'm writing the book of Hebrews here. That is not what Christianity is. The aim of Christianity is not even to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. I hope you're getting my point. The aim of Christianity is to take each one of us and make us into the image of God. And then when, we have, when that has been done, he now uses us to build up a house for God. We become living stones. That's what he's doing. Making each one of us an exact replica of God the Father by copying us into the image of Christ Jesus. Please, I hope you're getting my point. If your Christianity is not following that direction, it is a lost Christianity. You're lost. It's a confused Christianity you are practicing. I just feel like saying that some more. Do you know what I found out? That every experience in life, God is using it to teach us real Christianity. What I mean is this. If God gives you a job today, the job is not to get you money. It's to develop Christ in you. What I'm saying, is it making sense to you? Let me say it again. If you lose a job today, the loss of job is to develop Christ in you. If you get a job today, the getting that job is to develop Christ more in you. If you get married today, marriage is not, yes, it's not, it's not fulfillment of your romantic desires. It's another way for Christ to be brought out of you. Did you hear what I said? Listen, as a believer, that's the only way you must reason. You know, my experience, you know, <clears throat> I believe this, okay, but from experience, I realize it to be true. Let me explain what I'm going to say. Because how do you become like God is by seeing him clearly. The seed of God dwells in us if we are truly believers. I hope you get my point. The seed of God dwells where? In each one of us, each one of us if we are truly believers. Now, many times that seed, because you can have something, but it's repressed. It's suppressed. It does not manifest. Timothy has a gift, had a gift. For one reason or the other, it was not manifesting. So Paul wrote to him, he said what? Stir up the gift. Sometimes something is inside us 
We don't know it's there. So it's not manifesting. I'm bringing an issue here. Many times the character of God in us does not manifest for certain reasons. One of them is lack of recognition of the character of God. Now listen, the ability is inside. You have the spirit of God inside you as a seed. If anyone is born of God, the seed of God dwells in him. But that seed is dormant until you see God clearly. Let me explain this. You've heard a story before of, um, I don't know whether I'll leave tell that story, of an eagle that maybe a farmer found the egg of an eagle and raised the eagle, was, was hatched by one of the chicks, and the eagle was behaving like a fowl in the house. The concept of flying high did not come to the mind of that eagle. Never did. Until a real eagle came. And that baby eagle saw the similarity. If that eagle never saw a real eagle, it would have died behaving like a fowl. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You see what I'm saying in a moment? What God does a lot of times is just to reveal himself to us and we become exactly like him. John said, when we see him as he is, we become exactly like him. Seeing him is what releases that grace to be exactly like him. You see what I'm saying in a moment? I've had personal experience in that area. Let me give a very simple example. I learned generosity, you understand? Partly by observing it. What do I mean? I remember when I was in school. Now, 20 naira now, of course, you know, inflation changes the value of money. All right? But let me give you an idea. As a student that time, 20 naira was all you needed to eat well for one week. So understand your 20 naira of today is not my own 20 naira of that time. That was all you needed to eat. When I say eat well, I mean if you wanted to manage, all right, it would do you for 10 days. And when I say manage, you are doing okay. But if you wanted to eat comfortably, well, let me explain what I say. You, you, you eat, then buy a, a Coke and add to your food, that kind of thing. 20 naira took you for a week. All right, that was the value of 20 naira, the time I'm telling you about. Then I remember that day, one sister came to our room, she and her friends, they were... I didn't know them very, I knew them a bit, but they were not talking to me. But well, there was some brother that was there, was a senior person to us. So he played with the lady, picked her bag, and took 20 naira from it. So, of course, it's a joke, right? It has to be a joke. Are you getting my point? So he seized the money, and then after I wanted to give it back to her, and she said, No, no, that he, she, he could keep it. Did you hear what I said? I was a young guy. Now, you could make a pledge for 20 naira and be playing it small, small, maybe. But as somebody that just dashed somebody 20 naira while I watched, I didn't know it was possible. That was my first time in life. Let me explain to you. My tuition fees for one year in the university was 36 naira. Accommodation for the year was 90 naira. What my father needed to pay to the University of Benin for a whole year for me to go to school, there, apart from feeding, what he needed to pay for the whole year was 90 plus 36 naira. That's one. So I'm trying to give, put 20 naira in perspective for you that time. And somebody just dashed somebody. You know, many people will say, ah, this guy has money. Do you know what? He didn't cross my mind. The Holy Spirit really helped me. He didn't cross my mind. If she was a believer, she was another fellowship, not my fellowship. What just crossed my mind was that so human beings can give out 20 naira. That's what that crossed my mind. This is, do you get my point? There was nothing special going on. She just came with her friends. She just came visiting. So this brother was just playing with her. just took her bag. 
and took the money from inside. I was going to give it back to her. The girl said, no, 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 you can't keep it. No, it's all right. Ah, hey, I was in balance for a while. Though. That day, I made up my mind, I must ask somebody 29. Whether I had the money, that's not the issue. Money is that, eh, people are giving money like this. No. And the first opportunity I had, I dashed somebody 29. A friend of mine was there. He looked at me, he almost fell, fell down. Banky, why did you do that? I said, no, he needed the money, so I gave it to him. One brother said I wanted to buy something. I that oh, looking for money. I just said, I just, I just reached into my bag, brought out 29 and just gave it to him. And my friend almost fell down. No, the other time I was one that almost fell down. Now I was making somebody else almost fall down. What I learned that day was that it was doable. That's all. That's all. That's what, what I mean by the law of recognition. Once you see some of this, you just know that you can do it too. And that's what God does to us. You see where I'm going in a moment. So when God wants to make us like Jesus, one of the things he does is to show us what it is like. You know, remember what I started, started with? Every experience is what? Bringing out Christ in us. That is the way you look at your Christianity. Every experience. Like I said, if you lose a, lose a job, don't stop this rubbish of my enemy said I will not prosper. It is Christ will be manifested in my life in a new dimension. Personally, there were parts of God I don't believe I would ever have understood if I didn't get married. Well, maybe God will find another way to teach me, I don't know. But after I got married, oh God, I started apologizing to God for some things that I did wrong before. That is, this, is this how I made, made you feel? You know, but because for the first time, really, I was, I was now, you know, Bible says you should bear rule in your own home. That was the first time I understood why God killed Saul. Listen, let me give you an example. When I became a father, you know, having natural children, there's a level of compassion that was introduced into my life. I still remember once I saw a dog with his puppies. Dog. My wife just delivered a few weeks before. Dog and what? Puppies. And I stopped my car so that I won't by accident jam the mother or any of the puppies. I slowed down. I still remember the street. I slowed down. Why? I suddenly had compassion of the puppies. <laughs> what am I going to say? Every experience in your life is bringing out Christ out of you. That's what God designed it for. On the other side of it, there are experiences that God sent only to help dig out the rubbish that's covering Christ in you. Do you get the point? That is, there are things you did not know you were capable of until somebody triggered you in that direction. And listen, instead of getting angry with the person, just know that you are the problem. Now, listen, let me explain something to you. I need to make this very clear. I am not saying the people are not a problem. I'm just saying God does not care in that context now about them. It is you he's caring about. Many things in life, listen, that's what they do. Let me give you an example. This is a very, not a very good example, but it's come to my mind. Let's just use it. Bathsheba's story. You know what happened to Bathsheba? If you go and make a law, henceforth, no, ba- no, no young woman baits around the palace, especially in the afternoon. She will not get to Israel. And ladies only base at night. You won't know where it started from. <laughs> you won't know that was David. 
that came out of his palace one day. And one young man was bathing somewhere and he was looking. You know, in many countries, women cover themselves from head to toe. I mean, literally, they just cut small eyes. Why? So that there will not be temptations for the men. It's an indictment on the sinfulness of the men. In David's case, now, this is where I'm going. He could have gotten up and say, said, ah, henceforth in Israel, every woman, you must go and bathe in the basement. <laughs> and because the culture of the society, you won't know where it, started, where it started from. But when, of course, you know the story, he took Bathsheba and he killed Raya and all of that. And then what God just said to him is that there is wickedness buried inside you. I have just allowed this experience to expose it. So there was not one moment he blamed Bathsheba. There was not one moment he blamed Raya. There was not one moment he blamed anybody else apart from himself. So he said, create in me what? A new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Why? He understood that the problem is not the things around. But the things around expose the problems inside us. Please, I hope you are following my point here. Please remember it. That is what Christianity is about. It's shaping us into the exact image of Jesus. We are not doing righteousness because it pays. We do righteousness because that is the image of God. I hope you are getting my point here. It is not that we do righteousness because it pays. As for believers, all we do is learn to do what is right. We don't learn to do what gets results. We learn to do what is right. Because that is what matters to God. That's what Christ-likeness is. For example, if you're a pastor, learn to preach the truth. Know how to relate with people. Men, women, young, old. There are prescriptions in the scriptures on how to handle them. Just learn all of those things and do them. If the church grows to be a church of one million people, we give thanks. If it grows and does not cross 100 people, we give thanks. What you need, now if the church is not growing, listen, there's nothing wrong with going home to go and check what you are doing that is not right. I've seen people before that the church is not growing. I, just, I look at the way the man is behaving and in my mind, do you think this church can grow? Now, I hope I get my point. This is not about church growth or no church growth. This is about what? The behavior. There are places you, would do, you go once you don't want to come back again. Because, not because we are looking for results, but because that was wrong. His behavior was wrong. Yet, there are churches that are growing. You still look at it and say, oh boy, this is, like somebody said, it is not every growth that is of God. Though. That even cancer is a growth. A friend of mine said that thing. I said, wow, this is a revelation. He said, you are growing doesn't mean anything. You have to check the kind of growth. Because as a rule, cancer is a growth. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. So what we are learning is to be like Christ. So I just feel like dropping that for pastors. Just learn what is right. Growth is a gift of God. Whether your church you have 50,000 people, and please, don't ever get into this thing of counting the largest church, the largest ministry. We have the, you know, those comparative things. It's not necessary. Each person has an assignment. You are not sent to everybody. God has numbered the people that you are sent to. When Jesus preached the hardest, the toughest message in his ministry, the deepest message, he lost all the followers. All the disciples left him, apart from the core disciples. And those ones, they stayed only for one reason. They said, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of what? Eternal life. Having been with John for a while, they had learned to recognize truth. And they stayed with him because of truth. People go to churches for different reasons. Some people belong to a church because the church is popular and big. There are people that say in their church that it's better to be a part of a lion. That is, their own is that the bigger the church, the more secure. I don't know in what area. They just say you have to be part of something big. Please, I'm trying to get our focus right. If a minister, your focus is not on church growth. Your focus is you preach the truth. As believers also, our focus in whatever we are doing. Listen, so if you are financially increasing, materially increasing, but Christ-likeness is not increasing, you are failing. I hope you're getting my point. For example, you realize now that you are more dishonest than you used to be. <laughs> Before, they couldn't get a lie out of your mouth in a whole year. But ever since you entered into this realm of business, now you are dealing in millions of dollars. You realize that routinely in the office, you guys tell lies. You should know that that, that growth may, be of, it may have been of God. I don't know how it began. But just know that you are not succeeding, you are failing. Your increase should have made you should have made it more difficult for you to tell lies. I know people that say bribe. They don't want, first. They were not used to bribing people. Now that they are big, they are even less likely to bribe you, because now they realize that listen. Now I'm big. I'm. I'm I don't know what I get my point. I, I, I don't beg people anymore. I'm now. The, I'm not the man. I'm the man now. So what is the temptation? So growth for them makes Christ likeness even easier. Please, I'm saying something again and again and again. Please bear it in mind. Every experience has one purpose in life. Every experience. When we just get married, and maybe they say, okay, Pastor, come and bless us. I have to pray for them. There's one prayer I never forget to pray for them. By this marriage, they will become more like Christ. I always pray that prayer. And if you are single, or, yes, if you are single, then a man a woman. And a man wants to marry you, or a woman... Oh, what is the second thing I was about to say now? A woman wants to marry. Whichever be the case, thank you, my brother. Whichever way. If the person is not dragging you towards Christ more, and you're not yet married, please run. What did I say? You see, I'm not going to my message today. We're just reviewing everything. We're going to finish it today, okay? But this is a good place to just mention something I'm about to say. Don't tell me God spoke to you. If God spoke to you, then the vision is for an appointed time. Because the aim of everything is what? Christ-likeness. That's what God is doing. He is doing it with the new car you bought. He is doing, he is doing it with the child you just had. That is, before you were not a parent, now you are a parent. There is a new level of God that you are stepping into. That is, in caring for a child, you start discovering some things about God. There's something I say all the time. I say, listen, if God loves me, I have children, all right? I say, if God loves me half, now I didn't say as much. I say what? Half. Half as much as I love my kids, then it is a sin for me to worry. That is, the realization makes it a sin for me to worry. What should I worry about? He has more money than I have, you know. <laughs> he has more power than I have. He has more knowledge than I have. If he had, no, 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 he doesn't even have. If he's one quarter of concern, 
that he has for me as I have for people that depend on me, I don't think I should worry. Listen, there are some things that you can never learn. You know, theory, do you follow my point? It's, it's, it's theory. You know, just, you, you can't, there's what the Bible calls epignosis. That is full and experiential knowledge. It's a different kind of knowledge. That is, I learned to appreciate the love of God more. From just seeing myself show love towards people that God put in my care. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, nothing should draw you away. You must understand what God is doing in your life. Anything that's drawing you away from that, object, from that target, you should know, is separating you from God, actually. Listen, stop telling me God spoke to you. He did not. This statement I want to make, please. I've made it many times. There are times I have reasoned that banking. I hope you are saying what is right. I've prayed about it, reasoned about it, and realized I'm saying what is correct. God hardly talks to people, and there is nothing to brag on that he talks to, he talks to you. The more he talks to you, and you are not, if you are not a prophet, and God is always talking to you, it's a sign of your stubbornness. It's not your spirituality. Did you hear what I said? The more stubborn you are, the more he has to talk. The only people he has to talk to all the time are prophets because he sends them on errands. So they cannot be imagining, uh, my spirit is telling me that she come and tell you, ah, no, I can't, you, I can't be living my life based on how your spirit is moving. It has to be clear what, if you, if you are bringing the message to me from God and it's a direct instruction, you have to be sure of it. Then you are sure of the fact that the sun is on outside. It must be clear to you. So it does that for prophets. Otherwise, he doesn't, like, he doesn't talk to people in here every time. He said, no, when I woke up this morning, the Lord began to tell me that. You see, I'm looking at what did the Lord tell you? He said, that your neighbor, you need to forgive him. He needed to tell you that. Ah, is it not written in your Bible? Please, I hope you're getting where I'm coming from now. Is it not written in your Bible? And then people now say, ah, it's spirituality. I'm going to emphasize, it is not spirituality. Now, I want to make another statement, which I've made before, but something's making me make it again. People say, you have to learn how to hear the voice of God. Please, don't bother. Don't worry. I'm the only Pentecostal preacher I've heard say what I've just said. Say, Pastor Banky, are you saying people should not learn to hear the voice of God? Are you sure that's what you are saying? Mm, yes, precisely. You got it right. I said there is not... Okay, let me prove to you. Where in your Bible did you see it taught? Quote one scripture for me that he admonished people to go and do that. There's not one. If you have at the end, let's sit down together and read the Bible together. Okay, should I say there's no one? I shouldn't say that. I've never seen one. Is that not a better way to say it? Let's be humble. <laughs> I have never seen one. So this one that will make a big deal of it, learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. The first time God talked to Samuel, God spoke that thing four times until Samuel heard it. Didn't have to learn. The first time he spoke to Moses, he spoke to Moses so dramatically. There is nobody in your Bible that heard the voice of God and is, in, is doubting. So don't worry. You say, hey, God, people say God spoke to them. He has not spoken to me. Listen, you know why he hasn't spoken to you? The conversation is unnecessary. He says, I have given you enough information. Walk by what I have given you. You will find my will. Why are you looking for? You want my phone number? You can call me anytime. That's what you are looking for. It's not necessary. 
He will not, listen, if he needs you to do something dangerous, then he will speak to you. For example, if your name is Abraham, and you have to leave your father's house at the age of 75, leave everything and go and start a new life somewhere else. Believe me, they don't do such things by, I'm moving by faith. That's not faith. If you just do that thing for no reason. That's why God had to come to him clearly. Please, follow what I'm trying to get to. All right? Now, I'll get back to this in a moment. Let me just finish the first thing I was saying, all right? Then we'll not tie it together. Now, get into the meeting I want to say. Now, so I was saying, putting that knowledge in front of you, that this is what God is doing in my life, helps you make a lot of choices. It helps you. Christ-likeness. So, if you want to make decisions, just look. How is this thing helping me towards God's agenda for my life? Many of us think that God's agenda is prosperity. It's not prosperity. It's not. God's agenda in the life of each one of his children is forming Christ rigidly, firmly inside us. That's the first thing. And I was saying every experience, every experience is supposed to aid that principle. That's why I gave the illustration. I said, if you are single, marriage is not the most important thing happening on this earth. I hope you get my point. You don't seem to like what I've just said. You want me to prophesy this year before, even though it is November already? No, which month? We, yeah, today is 30th of November, right? Yes. You want me to prophesy that even though there's one more month to go, only one month, and you have not met the man, you've not met the woman, this year God will still do something now. God does strange things. He can. Yeah, He does strange things. Some people have worked with prophecy and they've married jokers. Yes. They use prophets to marry, clown, marry clowns. They went to church and pastor said, if you will do something dangerous, even though today is the 30th of November, before this year is over, you will have your wife in your house. Before this year is over, you will you, you be married as a woman. And you have not met the chap as at now. God can do it. I, I, I hope you get my point. But some people now hold on to that prophecy. Then one cocaine-using unbeliever shows up from America on the 20th of December, intending to go back on the 2nd of January. Now proposes marriage on the 31st. On the 30th, sister, we agree. Why? Because prophet said before the year is over, listen to me, marriage is not the most important thing he's doing on the earth. It's not the most important thing he's doing in your life. I hope you're getting my point. It's not the most important. If you put things in hierarchy, you understand? If you put them in their order, there are decisions you will not make. Just say, hey, this guy is on cocaine. He's not going to help me become more like Christ Jesus. Thank you, bros. Not interested. One day, one sister came to meet me, asked for counsel. Somebody I, I well, I know her a bit. And then she finished asking, you know, travel to come and see me. Travel to talk. <laughs> and I said, so what is wrong with the guy? He said, it's okay and all of that. There's just one thing. I said, he said, he smokes. Well, now, is smoking a sin? I don't know. It's a bad habit. Very horrible habit. I don't think you should smoke. And I said, no, I don't mean cigarettes. I said, what else can the man smoke? <laughs> I said, what? He said, I mean the other one. Which other one? Weed. Yeah. <laughs> I said, my sister, no, 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 no. I said, first, let's get it clear. 
I said, is cigarette smoking a sin? I said, in Nigeria, it is a sin. I said, it's not a sin abroad. <laughs> now, what I mean is this. What I mean is this. I said, listen. Please get my point in case you're interested in just get clarity. In Nigeria, only unbelievers smoke. Like now, if you see three people sitting down, opening one bottle of lager after another, they are not. I don't need to tell you they are not Christians. Now, the lager is not a sin, no. It's not the one that carries with hellfire. It's not unbelief. <laughs> but in Nigeria, we Christians don't drink lager. What they call lager? Now? Star lager. Uh, what are you doing? Like? <laughs> Every society has its cultural sin. But cigarette smoking and sitting around black, uh, sorry, green bottles, <clears throat> it's not the will of God. When we go to Germany, Christians sit around brown, yellow, purple. But in Nigeria, we don't do such things. So in, in Nigeria also, no Christian smokes cigarettes. Now, <laughs> the man is not only smoking cigarettes. He he goes with shrine, you know what I said, fellas joint, to buy his stuff. I told my sister, I don't need God to talk to you. I can talk to you on this matter. <laughs> God. I said, lie, lie. I don't want to. I said, no, 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 no. No. I said, no, no. No. My sister, if you have told me this on the phone, you didn't have to travel to come and see me. A man using weed. Go and ask with Houston how she got to where she is today. You know where she is today? Dead, yes. Church girl, you are looking for a boyfriend, is the one that's smoking weed. Of all the men in America, is the one that's using weed. Beyond gifts and talents. She was the most talented singer the world had ever heard her voice. The day I watched her documentary, when they described her voice, the man who promoted her, who gave her money to come for the program that she, when, when she finally died, the guy said he heard her once and he knew this girl is going far. That song, I will always love you. Know that song? I hope you know it was not her song. Dolly, is, is it Dolly Parton or, or Dolly Parton, right? Or Dolly Parton's song. If you heard Dolly Parton and heard her own, you'd have to Dolly Parton, go out, madam, go home. <laughs> <laughs> the, when you hear her, and here Dolly Parton, so you look at Dolly Parton. You made it this business. How did you manage it? <laughs> she was so talented. The Lord is good. Let me sit on my message. This is all this one I just. The point I'm making is this. I told my sister that hey, wait, wait, forget it. This is where we are going. This is what I'm going to make. Anyone who you, you can't recognize, he or she dragging you closer to the Lord. Please forget the idea. Don't say that the Lord spoke to him. The Lord didn't speak to you. Go and tell the Lord that I said he did not speak to you. I saw visions. I heard the first to see visions. People have seen visions that lied to us before. They said they went to hell and they saw women with hair extension. That God said, This is why I sent them to hell. I said, Lie, lie. The God I saved does not, you know, He said we should not smoke weed. Will He be the one to smoke it? You go to hell. And God told you he sent people to women to send women to hell because they painted their faces. I said, which God? The same one that said Jesus Christ. Don't lie to me. So the fact that you saw visions, please don't come and embarrass me. They don't come and try to deceive me. I don't believe it. Anyone that's not dragging you closer to the image of God is not of God. Not helping you. 
Listen, this, listen. Making decisions is easy if we just know the direction that God is facing. And what I want to focus on today is something we have taught many times, but just proper to use it to end this short series that we have been on for some time. Today will be the last portion I said. And while we read this, you know, I, said, I said last time that God helping me, I'll continue from that particular point, and I'm, I'm happy I'm able to do that. It's to explain again to people what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. Please, at this point, let me recommend that book. I think it's my favorite book, that is, of all the books that I wrote. It's my, my, the one I like most for now. They keep changing. There was a time that um, um, Great Faith Can Be Yours was my best for some time. The How to Work for God came, overtook it. But the one I like most currently is Guided by the Spirit. And I'm recommending it for everybody. Please go and read it. Guided by the Spirit. If you can get a physical copy because you like paper, good. But if you can't, if you don't mind reading it electronically, just go to our website. It's available there, free to download as a small PDF file. All right? I wrote the book to explain this thing I'm teaching again this evening to people. I'm just bringing that doctrine again as part of this, our short teaching on this issue of sonship. The fact that God wants us to be sons. I said something last time that God sends people ahead to wherever he wants to go to. And he wants people that he can trust. Jesus sent 70, not because that was, that was all that was needed. That was because that was all he had. Because he lamented. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now, he lamented. So it shows that if he had had um, 140, he would have sent 140. If he had had more than that, he would have sent. If he had 210, he would have sent them. Because he had many places he wanted to go to. So what he's doing is to make us people that he can trust. I said, what is the meaning of sonship? Being a son just means that you are a copy of the father. That he has trained you, he has developed you, so that you can speak for him. So you can stand in his stead. So if you make a decision, it will be as if the father made that decision. That is the meaning of sonship. And I said last time that it comes two ways. One, through what? Training. That is, we go for instruction. Well, let, me use, let me not use the word training because both things are training, actually. First, we go to learn. He gives us instruction. We deliberately, listen, one of the primary assignments God has for our lives for us to do is to get up and go and learn. Learning is part of living as a believer. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said, and do what? And learn of me. That is, you have to deliberately go out to learn. When we said it earlier that Christianity is discipleship, basically we are saying Christianity is a school. On a daily basis we are learning. On a daily basis we are learning. And it's something we must do deliberately. Every day. That's why you read your Bible again and again. Because each time you read it, God reveals something new to you. God has appointed people in the church to help us understand. When we use the title pastor, it does not mean the head of a, an, a religious organization. The word pastors means shepherd, which, if you read the Bible, is the same thing as teacher. People say there are five-fold ministries. There's a five, that the ministers are five. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. What are the other two? Pastors and then teachers. Go and read that portion well. He joined the last two together. He said he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. It's one office. That is the primary duty of a pastor is to teach. 
He said, I will give them pastors after my heart who will feed them with what? Knowledge and understanding. That is a primary assignment. It's not to visit people at home. People say, this man has a heart of a pastor. Why? He said, how have you been? He asks after your welfare. That is not a pastor's job. Ability to show compassion. There are people who just have that gift. I hope you understand that. So even if you are fainting in front of them, they say, why are you lying down? They don't realize you fainted. <laughs> don't be angry with them. They just don't have the ability to recognize. They say, the man fainted. Eh, okay. Eh, have you finished fainting? Get up now. You know, they don't. Anyway, there are other people that they have that heart. It's there. It that shows mercy. That's what, if you go and see it there, it's in the Bible. It's one of the gifts God gives to the body of Christ. It's not the job of a pastor. Some pastors have it. Some don't. A man like Bishop Oedipo those days, he doesn't believe any, you should visit anybody. He say, if I'm going around visiting, when am I going to hear what God wants to say to you? <laughs> and don't go and visit him. He said, one day in the morning, one man came to his house. One of the, you know, the younger people in the church, like church members. Good morning, sir. I came to see how you are doing. He said, you came to see how I'm doing? Obviously, you don't have any work to do. He said, you are the thing I'm doing. He didn't let the man enter. From, uh, it was upstairs. Man was down there. From there, the man turned and went back home. He said, this morning, you want to come and check how I'm doing? People <laughs> say, look, listen. And the church grew from 2,000 to 22,000 in one year. In Lagos. So, you are visiting people, it's not, the heart, it's not the job of a pastor. There are those who have that gift. Some pastors have it, some pastors don't have it. But the primary assignment of a pastor is to feed people with what? Knowledge and understanding. Either as a group or individually. When you see him, the counsel of God must come forth from his mouth. That's his primary assignment. That is the primary assignment. Please, let's bear that in mind, okay? So, I was saying, so that's one thing we do. We deliberately go out to learn. We deliberately, we, it's not, look, we get up, what have I learned in the last one week? What do I know now about following God that I did not know before? These are questions you must ask. If you're not asking these questions, your Christianity is shaky. And that's how God develops us into people that he can trust. I remember I said, when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was saying, this is somebody I've personally trained and I have tested. And that's why I said the second thing is what? Testing. And we said last time that everything that happens in our lives is what? A test. Every occurrence in your life is a test. It's as you are passing those tests. I mean, when Jesus was tempted, we talked about temptation. Temptation is not about, you know, we can look at it as it's about sin, not sin. That is right. But I want us at this point to look at it beyond that level. It's about, will God find me useful or he will not find me useful? Take a man like Jesus was. You know, some of us can say he's mindful that we are both flesh. He will forgive us all, all our sins. You know, Jesus did not have that privilege. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He doesn't seem to be catching it. He didn't have that privilege that God should forgive him of, of his sins. Do you know why? Because if God needed to forgive him, he could no longer be the Lamb of God that was taking away the sins of the whole world. So for him, resisting temptation was not just about will God forgive or God not forgive. Is will these people ever be saved? Or they will never be saved? Because it was necessary 
for him to be the Lamb of God that he did not have to offer any sacrifice for his own sin. Is that what the Bible says? The high priest had to offer one for his sin. But Jesus, for him to be the perfect Lamb of God, at the same time be the high priest of God, he, there must not be an occasion in which he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. So that was why there was no lie found in his mouth. There was no place you could say he did, he made one mistake. There was no error. He totally did not need baptism. He came to John for baptism. John said, what is this? John said, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. He said, let's just do it for, to fulfill all righteousness. Let it be that we did it. That we're stepping into the ministry you were doing. How can we come and not be baptized ourselves? I hope you get my point. But he did not need it. John said it clearly. And he did not argue with the fact. He said, I know. He said, but let us do it just to fulfill all righteousness. What am I going to say? So, when Jesus would be tempted, he was not thinking about, ah, this money will go good, though. With this, we can solve a few problems now. We just bow to Satan now. They will tell the Father, she will understand. I hope you're getting my point. If that had happened, that cross is not going to happen. We'll wait for another whole new universe for Jesus, another Jesus to come. I don't know whether you're getting my point. So, uh, please understand that. So for him, resisting sin was not just about will God be angry or will God forgive? It is, a, is, is will we still be found useful? Will we still be found useful for the reason? He said, will I say, Father, deliver me from this hour? He said, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. He said, will I still be able to go through that hour successfully? Please, I hope you are getting my point here. So please understand. And listen, in life, when you are making decisions, these are the kind of things you should think about. Please, I feel like digressing again. You know, I'm a master of digressor. A master of digression. Many things to say. When somebody is offering you this, either it's visa or relocation to one country or a, another city, just ask yourself, how useful in life am I going to be? Now, listen, let me say something quickly. You don't have to have all the answers. Just ask the right questions. Did you hear what I said? You may not have the right answer. But if you just ask the right question, God will lead you. I said something earlier. Oh, this is what God speak to me. God said, listen, don't, this conversation is not necessary. You don't want to reason why conversation is not necessary with God. Because whether he speaks or not, if your heart is not right, it's not right. If he speaks and your heart is not right, you will disobey. And when you disobey, the fact that he spoke now becomes judgment. So that's why he doesn't have time for all this. Say, God, talk, talk, talk. What am I going to talk about? Even if I were to speak, you will not be able to hear what you cannot hear. So now, judgment has now added to your troubles. That I have given you enough understanding. I have given you enough word. I have given you enough instructions to live your life by. And in the midst of obedience to those instructions, I will lead you through the circumstances of your life to the right place. But that is a matter of fact. So just ask the right questions. By having the right things in mind. I was saying, talking about sin. So for Jesus, should we sin or not sin? It's not just about the sin. It is that even if we do it once, God will forgive us. We are not saying we will not forgive, except that we are no longer the sinless sacrifice that he needs to tackle all the sins that have been forgiven all these years. And he will have to forgive later. Just by being tainted once, suddenly, I am no longer able to do that. 
So I say, if you want to make decisions, bear some of those things in mind. Sometimes I see people do some things I don't understand. Because, you see, let me tell you something about worship of mammon. It is when money just deciding what you do. Sometimes just look at other things. How useful will I be? I've used this illustration a number of times. First time I went to the U.S., some people say, ah, why, like, if you, the U.S., will you, you know, when they see you there, people just assume that maybe you are trying to check the place out. But a natural trainer, I'm a pathologist. And the hospital where I went to do my attachment for, I went to do a program for about a month. And one day, the secretary, of, she was showing me around how to get by, showed me the bus station and all of that. I just asked her a question, like, okay, she was asking me about Nigeria, she's a white woman, asking me about Nigeria and all of that. So we're having a nice discussion. Like, how many pathologists do we have in Nigeria? Just talking about it. That time, the whole of Nigeria did not have 50. The whole of Nigeria. So we're just talking with this woman. So I wanted to just give her an impression of what it's like. So I pointed to the building. We just came out from MD and Anderson Cancer Center. So in the bus stop just near there. I just said, okay, like, how many pathologists do you guys have here? She said, um, about 100. <laughs> so I thought she didn't hear me well. I said... Pathologist, that's what I asked you for. <laughs> she said, yes, I heard that. You mean, do you mean just cytopath or surge path? And, well, there are two major divisions we had in that department. She said, do you mean surge path and cytopath? I said, yes, both of them. He said, yes, it's about 100. You remember I told you that we are moving from this building, that shortly after they are moving from that building to their own building. Now, now they're occupying a number of floors in a particular building. I said, what? One institution has 100 pathologists? And my country of over 150 million people could not boast of 50. In my mind, I'm going home. <laughs> no. Now, how much you get paid in Nigeria, how much you get paid in the U.S. was not my problem. Man, is that what? Listen, one institution had a hundred. I'm not saying a country. I'm not saying a state. Listen, if you know a bit about those things, look, just go and Google up Texas Medical Center. Now, when you hear Texas Medical Center, it's not one hospital. It's a district. Some of the best hospitals in the world is in that, that street. And that one I was coming out from is even the number two cancer center in America, not number one. And they had 100 pathologists. I said, even if the, as me, I was not even doing Kingdom World Ministries. You know, Kingdom World would have brought me back home. But let's even assume I wasn't doing that. I was just working as a pathologist. I'm going home. In my mind, this is not right. <laughs> In my mind, this is not fair. This is not right. There was a day one, one, one younger colleague was discussing with me. He found out that my good friend is a pathologist in the UK. And he said that, ah, don't you think he's doing better than you are doing now? He has better practice. I said, but bros, he did not carry my patients with him. I said, you're talking about practice so that I can say I have good microscopes. I said, the, least, the bad one I have, at least is helping, pe helping people on a day-to-day -day basis. I said, that is the idea. First time I came to Enugu then, I had not had a full-time pathologist for a very long time. So when I came, I met a, a repeating, I met them about to do a receipt exam. So a number of people failed, and they came to me to help them out. And one of them was a particular lady that I want to talk about briefly. So I, I coached them, they used to come to my office, I gave them assignment, I could, in fact, they confessed that that was the first time they were having proper lectures in the subject. So, okay, fine. So I, I coached them. They finished, by the time they did the exam next time, they, they all, almost all of them passed. And then, so this young lady traveled to the UK for electives. 
And when she came back, she came to see me. He said, ah, sir, hey, that place is very fine. He said, of course, I was very young that time. I'm talking about the story of, 19, of the year 2001. Okay? So this will be like 2002. He said, ah, hey, young people like you are just wasting away here. That's what she said. He said, young, intelligent people like you. He said, sir, I think just pack or just make you wait for yourself. Just go over there. I was looking at this girl like this. I said, how ungrateful can human beings be? How irresponsible can they be? I allowed her to finish talking. Let me not forget to mention one part of what she said. She said, thank God that you came to Enugu. She said, thank God for you. She said, well, not for those lectures you gave us, I would have been looking like a fool there. I'm giving you her words. I'm not adding to those words. He said, but because of that, I, I could show now, you know, like uh, me too, I came from somewhere, that I had things to say. I could engage them properly. He said, if I had gone before you came, it would have been a disaster. That's why she now added to it that, sir, you are too good for this place. Young, intelligent people like you, you are wasting away here. You just go over there so you can shine, you can flourish. I'm adding my own words now. You can shine, you can flourish, your potential can manifest. When she finished, I looked at her. I said, by the time I will have gone, the next set of ignoramuses like you that shows up, what will happen to them? Those were my words. I've not added anything to it. I said, when I will have gone, I said, the next set of ignoramuses like you that show up, what will not happen to them? Some of us don't even understand how to think outside ourselves. She said, okay, sir. It's true, sir. It is true. In my mind, it was true before I came from Lagos. <laughs> Get up and go. Listen, I'm sorry. When you see me not being excited, people have said it before that I know Pastor Bang does not believe in hearing from God. I don't believe in trying to harass him until you and him become conversation partners and be hearing voices. Nonsense. Listen to me. When he wants to talk, he will talk. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying make your decisions based on the right principles in mind. Listen, he said in that Philippians chapter 2, he said, have this mind. That's what we're talking, going to. Have this mind that was also in Christ. My Bible uses a more modern word, but the literal word is mind. Have this attitude in you that was also in Christ. What does that mind mean? Think the way Christ thought when he came and died for you. Think the way Christ thought when he lived for you. Think the way Christ used to think that made him go to the cross. Think like that. He said, have that attitude. He said, look at how Jesus was. Even though he had equality with God, he did not think it like as a thing that he had to hold on to tightly. He said, but he, he laid it down. He became obedient. He became a servant and was obedient to the point of death. So that is the attitude of Christ that you should have. Now, back to what we said, Romans chapter 8. Paul now said, in that Romans, he said, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, listen to this, he said, as many as are led by what? The spirit of God. They are what? Sons of God. Please, I need to say this again, because I'm talking about sonship. That's why I went into this. 
Sonship does not mean God talks to you. That's not the meaning of sonship. That was why I wrote the book entitled Guided by the Spirit. The first title I wanted to use was Led by the Spirit. But I decided to modify it to Guided by the Spirit for certain reasons. Listen, that because why I dropped the word led is that people, I, I know most Christians, when they see that title, what they are thinking about, how do I get to hear God's voice? That's what they are thinking about. How, people have told us things like, pray until your spirit is quiet. Then the first thought that drops in your mind is, is God speaking to you. People have said things that God does not talk to you through the environment. He talks only through the spirit. Those things are not balanced gospel. They are not balanced Bible teaching. God talks to you any way, any way he likes. Did you hear what I said? He talks to you any way he likes. If he decides to be knocking your head when he wants to talk, that's his prerogative. If he decides that you will get a special line, he will be calling you from with a strange number, that's the way he likes it. If he decides you will be hearing his voice loud and clear, like an egg will say those days, so there are times the Holy Spirit will talk to him that he will actually check, he will be opening the door like, who said that? See, there are times the Holy Spirit will talk to him. He will assume everybody heard it because to him it was somebody talking. He said one day literally he checked under the chair because he thought somebody was playing pranks on him because the voice was so clear and loud. He checked under the chair. God talks any way he likes. He talks in dreams. He talks in visions. He talks with angelic visitations. An angel will come and give you a message. God does that. Any way he likes, he chooses. There is nothing like in the New Testament, he talks to your spirit. The Bible never said that. Why am I saying this? Because many people have heard from their spirit all kinds of strange things. This is my spirit has said, and they are disobeying divine principles. And they say their spirit said. When the Bible says, as many as are led by the spirit of God. Please, let me explain it again. This was what Paul was saying. Everything you do in life has a reason. Did you hear what I said? Sigmund Freud, the father of psychoanalysis, used to say something. No, well, he used to practice something. Part of what they call psychoanalysis is to find out the hidden reason why you are doing what you are doing. I don't know whether you get my point. There are times they'll say you had an experience in childhood you've forgotten. But that experience is inside you and it's pushing you in a particular direction. But you've forgotten. So they'll do their psychoanalysis to try and find out. You, for them to do it, of course, I don't believe what they are doing. A lot of this is, that is, they'll make you talk and talk and talk until they, you know, they just find something. Say, okay, this is why you are the way you are. Many people are demon-possessed. They are doing psychoanalysis. Sons of Skiva will soon injure somebody. Are you getting my point? Some psychiatrists are in trouble. <laughs> also, psychologists, you are doing psychoanalysis, you don't know it's a demonic problem you are dealing with. But I'm not even trying to support what they are doing. I'm trying to emphasize the principle here. Because it is true that many times people are doing things they don't even know why they are doing them. What am I going to say? That thing that is the guiding force behind everything you are doing is one of those things the Bible calls spirit. When you see the word spirit in the Bible, please, it does not always mean a being. What I mean is this. For example, he makes his angels spirits. 
So spirit could mean a being. Jesus has been referred to as a spirit. He made him what? A life-giving spirit. The first man was from the, was, um, from the earth, earthy. But the second man is what? A life-giving spirit. God is spirit. So the word spirit is often used for persons. But not all the time. Sometimes somebody has a spirit of jealousy and it's not a demon. Anger can be a spirit and it's not a demon. Once it's a force moving somebody, it's called a spirit. If it's somebody who's pushing you like an, an, a demon, that's a spirit. Is the angel of God, it's a spirit. If it is the Holy Spirit, it's also a spirit. So the word spirit is used in diversities of ways. When it says the spirit of God, let me explain the word off again. The word off in the Bible, please let's go by this again. The word off means many things. I didn't know I was going to quote that I've written a list that I learned that time from Bollinger. Even in English, it's like that, not just Greek. If you say, Banki of Enugu, what does that tell you? That is, there's a Banki in Lagos, maybe. I mean, there's Banki of you, I mean, that one is Lagos. Do you know when the one guy actually stopped me? He said, Good evening, sir. Pastor Banki, Banki of you. I'm not joking, no. Israel, what he did that day? It was in front of a former kingdom world. I don't know why he put W in front of my name. Do I look like Wellington or anything? So that just tells you my location. Are you getting my point? Okay? Then the word of also can be used to describe where something came out of. Are you getting my point? It can also be used to describe the trait something has. There are about, about five or seven of those different Greek usage. Okay? Now the word of... Like I said, also means what something came out of, or the character of who it is reflecting. So when you use the word spirit of God, I'm talking about of, don't always assume he's talking about the Holy Spirit as a person. Now when I want to say the spirit of Christ, that is, there is a spirit of the world. Do you get my point? There is a spirit of this age. So anytime you see people in this world, they are selfish. Yes, that's a fundamental issue in this life. Selfishness. Which is the opposite of godliness. God is selfless. For God so loved that he gave that they will not perish but have. Always wanting to give to people to bless them. But the world is selfish. They don't do anything except for what they are going to gain. I hope you're getting my point. God is love. And love gives. But the spirit of this age is selfishness. The spirit of this age is self-centeredness. Wickedness, that's the spirit of this age. But what is the spirit of Christ? Do you get my, are you getting the use, usage now? He wasn't saying that, ah, this is, if you look, this Holy Spirit came from inside Christ. No. He said, what is pushing you? Is it the same thing that pushed the Lord Jesus? So when he was writing the same thing, but in the book of, um, to the Philippians, he called it what? Mind. Let this mind or this attitude be in you. What is the attitude? Selflessness. Obedience to the will of the Father. He was obedient to the point of death. 
That's the attitude he was referring to. So he now said, as many as are, listen to this, being propelled, as many as the thing that is pushing them is the same that was pushing Jesus Christ. They are the sons of God. I hope you're getting my point. I've heard people say, please, I have to disagree with it. I've heard them say that a sign of sonship is that you can hear from God, and they are referring to that scripture. No, not true. In fact, possibly, a sign of sonship is that you don't have to hear from him. You and him, you have become one. That when you think, you are thinking his thoughts. When you have a desire, it's his desires. That you have, been, you have so entered into him that you can say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. God is trying to make us exactly like him. So that if we have to make a decision, please don't brag on, has God spoken? Listen, God does not have to talk until you get to the point where you don't have enough information or training to solve that riddle. If you have, he won't see anything. Why? It's a test. I don't know whether you're getting my point. The example we have in that book, or how they replaced Judas. Peter is in the book, Guided by the Spirit. Peter didn't ask God for anything. Listen, people say, Holy Spirit had not come by that time. It's not true. That was not the problem. Peter did not ask God for anything. He said, guys, we have to replace Judas. He said, let's just open to it. I think it's important. Acts. Because, you see, when we don't realize that, he will be asking God to speak on things that... Acts chapter 1, verse 15. It's at this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For it was counted among us and all of that. Please, for time's sake, I'm just going to jump down to verse um, 21. Okay, no, to verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it. And let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men, now please follow this, verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. That is, from the very beginning. That is, you must have been there that day when John said to us, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. Until the resurrection, he said, and when it was taken, sorry, until the ascension, he said, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. So the person must have witnessed the resurrection. So they put forth two men. Now, they didn't just bring forth two men. How many were there? 120. They checked amongst them. Only two people qualified when this criteria had been checked. They put forth two men, Joseph, also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, 
show which of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, please, you may have heard people say, uh, we heard that because sometimes I just drop some things so that people will know that it's not as if we are not aware of those facts, we just don't agree with them. You may have heard people say that they did this before the Holy Spirit came. Therefore, they preempted the appointment of Paul. Have you heard that before? Now, let me just tell you that it's not true. And let me prove to you that it's not true. Paul never saw Jesus. These apostles had to have seen Jesus. He never did. The first encounter of Paul with Jesus was on the road to Damascus. So it was the vision of Jesus he had first. The criteria for the 12 apostles were people who were with him throughout their life and who were what? Witnesses of the resurrection. Paul was not a witness of the resurrection. He did not fit this bill. That's what they call apostles of the Lamb. They were 12. Paul did not fit that category. That does not take away from him. I hope you're getting my point. It doesn't take away from him. He did more work than the so-called 12 apostles of the Lamb put together. If you just look at your Bible, put all their writings together. It's not as much as that of Paul alone. I hope you're getting my point. Uh-huh. So we're not taking anything from him, but just to let you know that these men made the right decision. But notice the first thing they did was to just look for the criteria necessary. What are the criteria necessary? You had to have known him from when? The very beginning. So by the time he came for baptism, I hope you were not missing that day. That was the day you said, ah, my wife just delivered, though. come and rejoice with me. Those who went that day for that naming ceremony, that was the end. They could never be considered, no matter how pure their hearts were, they could not be considered as a replacement for Judas. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. So Peter set for the criteria. What am I going to say? Sons of God, they are people of knowledge. They are people of understanding. Many times we counsel people. That's as ministers of the gospel. Or let me use the word elders, really, because it has nothing to do with the ability to preach. It has to do with experience with God. I hope you're getting my point. Yes. It's nothing about preaching. Yeah, people come to you. You've learned the word. You've had experience in life. You can give them counsel. Look, my, my brother, my sister, they don't do like that. God doesn't say do this kind of thing. You do this kind of situation. Many people come to you for counsel. Are you getting my point? You're just drawing from the wealth of knowledge and experience that you have, and you are giving people from it. And like Paul would say, I have the spirit of God. There are things people will tell me that they prayed and prayed, and God told them, and like, <laughs> now, wow, three days for God to tell you this. Why didn't you just come and see me? Please stop bragging on I heard from God. Don't think God is proud of it. What he wants is for you to develop to an extent that you know the way he reasons. Do you get my point? He said you have to be mature so that by reason of use, you have exercised your own senses to discern between good and evil, between right and wrong. That is what sonship is about. When it says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, I said doing the right thing in life is actually much easier. That is doing what is pleasing to God. It's actually much easier than people think. It's much, much easier. What happens a lot of times, people say they have to hear from God, is that they don't have the right motives. No matter how much you can hear God, 
if your, if your mind, if your heart is set on the things of this earth, listen, many people come to tell me they heard God. I know, my mind is that, listen, I know where your heart is set. I've had pastors tell me before that they are moving to Lagos from different parts. I heard it in Enugu, heard it from before I came to Enugu, different parts, you know. And what is the issue? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the person. What function do you have that makes you fit to run a ministry in Lagos? I'm not saying that Lagos is an evil place. I'm, I'm just going to say something that I just look at the person that, you know, my mind, like, you have your unction somewhere else. People can tell you things that like God sent me, but later on you look at them closely. They have one thought in their mind. And what is that thought? Money is in Lagos. Money is in Lagos. And I said we'll get to Lagos. So that's why people start churches hoping to gather enough congregation. And let me say this. That's why you can argue with people from now till tomorrow. I, I, somebody wrote me a mail many years ago. He read the book. So we'll pay for this. So he wrote a mail and said, ah, that's this thing that I've written here. Finally, he agrees with me. That when he first read Grace to Prosper, he found it hard to agree. I told my wife, he's obviously a pastor. That I, I, I don't know him, it's an email. He said, why did you say so? I said, I told my wife, listen, this guy is obviously a pastor. Why? Because in Grace to Prosper, two things stood out for a lot of people. And I know it stood out, it must have stood out for him. One was that I emphasized that Christians don't give to get. And two, I said that the, that the, the cheerful giver is a New Testament tither. That God did not command that Christians should be calculating and bringing to what they call the storehouse. I showed in that book that storehouse is a place where the needy get from, not where you are fed. You know, there's, there's this logic that where's the storehouse is where you take food from. Where's your store? When you need garlic, you go to your store. When you need yam, you go to your store. When you need beans, you go to your store. When you need bread, you go to your store. So you bring to your storehouse this place you are fed from. So they say that you are being fed from kingdom world ministries. How come I'm not smelling your diet? You guys, man. <laughs> He said, you are being fed from Kingdom World Ministry, so your tithe belongs here. I've, heard, I've seen pastors on TV say that, look, if this television program is blessing you, we, de- we deserve a part of your tithe because we are feeding you too. Yes. And he's a man who preached tithe. But Jesus said, you err. Why? Because you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God. If you understood the scriptures, the scriptures make it clear that those who give to the storehouse are not the ones that take from it. So that logic of you feel from your storehouse, it's not from, the, from that context in the Bible. Those who give to the storehouse in the Bible, they give there because they have abundance. So they never take from there. And the storehouse from the Bible is where, the, is where the priests, the widows, the strangers, the poor get from. Basically, storehouse in the Bible was a charity house. Now, I preach all of that in that book. And listen, that undermined a lot of pastors' ability to control resources. So it was difficult for him to agree. But when I wrote, um, what's the name of the other book? So we'll pay for this. This time around, it, <laughs> I was placing a demand on Christians that yes, we don't have a law that says we must collect this percentage and all of that. I said, but if we don't give to the gospel, who will give to the gospel? I actually said as much as if you're not a giver, you're a sinner. Which is the word of God anyway. <laughs> I mean, every child of God is a giver. The love of God in you makes you a giver. It's a life of a believer. You can't tell me you are praying when you are not giving. You are joking. Just like praying is a Christian duty, so giving is a Christian duty. And giving is a sign of faith. Only those who don't have faith don't give. 
If you think you are too poor to give, then you, do, you don't have enough faith to prosper. Because the first thing your faith does for you is to produce for you something to share with somebody, not to eat for yourself. Now you understand? What, are you getting my point now? The spirit in a man allowed him to easily agree with this and not agree with the other one. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So I told my wife, I said, this guy is a pastor. Forget this thing I he's saying. He's a pastor. For him to agree with this. So that these days, I've realized it. Arguing doctrine with people is not very necessary. Except you have first perceived their right spirit. Did you hear what I said? Yes. Arguing doctrine with people is not necessary. Except, first of all, you have perceived what? Their right spirit. Because what people understand is decided by the kind of spirit they have. If you don't have the spirit of service, laying down your life, knowing that you were born for a purpose, many things that Jesus said, you only interpret them selfishly. So that's why Paul said, have the spirit in you that was in Christ Jesus. I hope you're getting my point. That is what is guiding a believer. I say, where do I go? Where should I go? Let me give an example. An average person looking for a job, what's the first thing that we're thinking about? No, not rocket science. An average person, I'm not talking about you. The world, the whole, the everybody. What's the thing they are looking for? Huh? The money, the pay. You know, any Christian thinking like that does not have the attitude of Christ. Amen. It's a matter of fact. If that's how you are reasoning, you do not have the attitude of Christ. You need to develop it. You say, okay, how should a Christian reason? It's simple. You're looking for a job. First thing you are checking is that, how useful am I going to be to these people? That is the first thing in your mind. How useful am I going to be to these people? In life, decision making is based on how you prioritize what is important to you. I am not saying that the money they want to pay is of no consequence. It's where it stays on the hierarchy, in the hierarchy of points that we're talking about. There's an illustration I give. I mean, it sounds like a joke when I do, but I can't mean it. I said, a young woman wants to marry or a young man, I think it's worse for you. It happens to both, like you said. Anyhow, both sides, they do it. A young man finds a young woman. Very nice girl. Good Christian girl. Loves the Lord. Drawing him closer to the Lord. You know what we were saying earlier? Anytime you see, you see her like this, you just be thanking God that you're a Christian. You'll be worshipping. Father God, I want to worship you for Angela's life. If she calls you, you pray that day. The day she does not call you, you forget so that's obviously the will of God. Then you now find out that she's number one out of six children, and her father died when she was 15. Essentially, she has a lot of what? <laughs> you have a job, or you have a business. Well, you're not earning 17 million every other week, but at least you're getting some regular pay. Do you know a lot of young men who claim to be Christians will run away? Who are they now? What did she say? Do you know a lot? Honestly, that is the spirit of the age. That is opposite of having the spirit of Christ. That is it. Let's call it spirit is spirit. That is what it is. You're not a good person. You're selfish. You're not godly. In fact, she shouldn't marry you. You are too wicked. 
Because I should have thought that if indeed you had the real affection that we're talking about. Please, pardon me to use a word that's not too godly, but, but not, you understand what I'm saying? Worry, in quotes now. Worry for her should have gripped you so much. I, I don't know whether I get my point. You'll have like, how will she cope? You thought about it, Kai, this girl, oh, five younger ones, she just finished NYSC, or she finished NYSC two years ago, just getting a small job. So just between her and her mother, they have to handle all of this. It's the kind of thing that will drive you to your knees and say, God, I want to marry you, eh? and I really, but please, can I beg you for extra money? Because once I marry you, know I will need it. Hear ye the word of the Lord. If you think like that, God will bring every cobble you need. Listen, you may not build a house in the first 10 years. You may not even be able to change your car regularly. Many times you have to park the car and use KK around. But every one of those children will be taken care of. And what is life about, please, apart from infusing a blessing into somebody? If, let me just, you know me, I don't like to, I don't like to massage people's back when they need righteousness preached to them. If you run away from that girl, God will give you one last born whose father still has five years before retirement, no, mother still has five years before retirement, and the father has an established business. But when God wants to show you pepe, he that sows to the flesh, with from the flesh report, corruption, you will marry a spoiled girl that you cannot even afford. That what she uses to buy jewelry alone will have educated Angela's five younger ones in UNN. <laughs> Do you get my point? You will start chasing things you can't catch. But God will give you three children, and as far as she's concerned, holiday has to be in a different country. Long vac is different from Christmas. Christmas, they go to a warm country. Long vac, they go to Europe, America. You will discover that, see, you'll be at the age of 45, you are hypertensive so seriously <laughs> that doctors are referring you to each other. Just to keep your blood pressure normal. God said, I gave you a, a girl that has responsibility. You said she had too many responsibilities. Being an irresponsible man that you are. No problem. I have now found you a girl that has no responsibility and she's irresponsible like you. You will find one very expensive Jezebel that's the last born. You think, oh, you think class born is always free of responsibility. There are different, there's external responsibility, like having younger ones, and there's each internal one. May God not give you a girl that's on cocaine. <laughs> you will know that, listen, you will pursue wealth, you will never catch it. As soon as you catch the money like this, the girl will ah, say, at least, but, ah, you, you will bring car home. That you walked and lay bored so that she, too, she, she go look like say, That's the problem I have with you. you do, <laughs> my, which of my mates do you see dri driving to Kumbo? He said, But this one is, a, is less, less than 50,000 mi uh, 50, miles. Somebody has finished the car. You will look, you will hate yourself. You, the day you go and visit Angela, he said, Angela will say, Do I know you? <laughs> God don't say, Oh, by that time, oh, I forgot to mention, all her younger ones have graduated from school. 
But then you are suffering like this. Why? Because you do not have the spirit of Christ. Many times people say, God, speak to me. Should I marry Angela? God say, listen, this discussion is annoying. <laughs> because the problem you have is fear. It's not whether God says I should not. It's you are afraid. You are afraid that you will be paying school fees for five children that you did not have by yourself. The Spirit of Christ said, lay down your life for somebody else. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. Can you see? Look, listen. Please, Father God, help your children to understand what I'm saying. I am not saying God does not speak to people. I am saying he has spoken so much. That let us obey the ones he has said before we start looking for new conversations. That's all I'm saying. So that young man, Angela is not the problem. It's fear that's the problem. Like I always say to people who are in that situation. This whole suffering to take care of this people with, look, push it, push it, 10 years, it is over. Okay, let's push it, 15. Let me tell you something. Would it not surprise you? Look at me. That I've been living in Enugu now for almost 20 years. It's 19 years this September that I packed to Enugu. Sometimes I look at my wife. You know, I've been, te- been terrorizing all of you about my 20th anniversary, which is in less than two weeks' time. Yes, I've been married for 20 years. I had to grow this beard to prove it to some people because some people were looking at me as if clap, I clap, don't clap, 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 my clap. The Lord is good. <laughs> now, sometimes I look at time. What, what, I'm, what I'm talking about is that sometimes I look at my wife. I say, "You mean you may have married you for twenty? I'm like I'm surprised." Because if you woke me out of, if I didn't have, if I didn't have this everything to just go by feeling, I think I've married for like seven, eight years. That's what I would think. But what I'm going to say, so to invest ten years is not a long time. It's not a long time. It's not a long time. It's not a long time. It is more blessed to do what? To give. That's the meaning of having what? A Christ attitude. When you're, and listen, this attitude is in everything you do. When you're relating with your wife, with your workers, your husband, your country, the attitude of Christ is supposed to show. It's as we grow up in that Christ attitude that the Bible says we are being propelled by the same spirit that propelled Jesus. And that spirit is called the spirit of God. So it says anybody who that spirit guides everything he or she does, that person is truly a son of God. I hope you're getting my point here. But let me end with this one so that people won't say I said things are not true. God speaks to people. But I should repeat this one. There's no trick for learning to hear his voice. Any voice you have to learn a trick to hear is not accurate. You have just congealed the thoughts of your own spirit into voices. Don't be impressed. Don't let anybody come and harass you. God spoke to me. He speaks to people, but shouldn't be a harassment for you. You don't go and practice how to hear. Don't worry. He can shout. What you need to practice is obedience to what is already revealed. What you need to practice is how to put your flesh under. I give an example now. We don't, we're not going to do those in, things in details. Yes, you had fears. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. When you and your young wife, you have to be taking care of so many things. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just saying there's grace. So you tap into that grace on your knees. You tap into that grace where? 
on your knees. You pray until you have the confidence, but you never walk away. One of the things I've learned in life is I have to be able to defend my decisions before God. And listen, let's be reasonable. As a true believer, there are decisions you know you can't defend. If that brother walks away from that Angela, how will he explain to God? God, just looking at you like this. Are you saying I've retired? Are you saying I can't help you? Did you ever come to me for help? I hope you're getting my point. That's all God is just just looking at you. God just be looking at you. So God helped me with that. I said, I have to be able to defend every decision. And that's what we do when we say putting the body under. You know the one the body wants to do. The body wants to go home and go and sleep, not go to the cross. So did Jesus, for that reason, refuse the cross? No. He went to pray until he, can, he could confidently walk to the cross and not be afraid. Up to that point, it was difficult. That's what we need to learn to do. We need to learn to pray until the body goes down. What the body wants and what is right. We usually know it. It's just that we can't do it. So we start explaining as if we, can't, we don't know it. What we need to do is to take what we know to God in prayer. That's how sons develop. That's how sons develop for God. We said the other time, listen, we are tested every day. Time will not allow me now. I don't want to start teaching that in that direction. For us to understand, the Bible says that draw near to the throne of grace. That we might find, obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In that Hebrews chapter 4. Now, what was it talking about? The time of need is not when you need money. No. It's when you need to obey and the flesh is weak. That's what they call the time of need. When you're thirsty, your wife is thirsty, your children are thirsty, Moses led into the wilderness, and you are tempted to grumble against Moses. But you know you should not grumble. That's the time of need. What is the time of need? When God says, enter the promised land, and you see giants in there, and you know you can't turn back. That's the time of need. Obedience to God in life until that particular one has become a habit is really difficult. The first time you have to face a special obedience, it will be hard. The only thing that God says, take it to prayer. There's no bold person here. I can do it. God doesn't need them. What God needs are people who know how to pray. Who know how to get on their knees and say, God, this is the right thing. That's what I want to do. Even though between me and you, I can't do it. But that's what I want to do. We obey him with what? Depending on him. We obey him with prayer. That's why I said, draw near to the throne of grace. That we may find what? Mercy. All right? And grace to help. Grace is God's ability that comes into you. Do you follow my point? It's difficult, like I was saying the first time. But then you take it to prayer. Sometimes you hear the word like this preached. Assuming that brother you were, talk- were talking about. Maybe you are here. Now, they didn't tell me. You know, Agatha, uh, Angela did not call me to tell me that you were coming. Are you getting my point? Maybe you even came with Angela. I don't need the two of you. I hope you're getting my point. But you have heard the word. doesn't mean you change your mind overnight. It means you have heard something now that will become for you what? A prayer point. And you will pray with it until confidence. You're no longer afraid. That's what grace is. That's what it means to be what? Led by the Spirit of God. When God needs to speak, my people, he will speak. I was saying earlier, I feel like saying it again. It doesn't need you to practice hearing him. Will it be right... You are sitting on a bomb. Do you speak your rebuttal? 
You don't. You never stayed in Lagos before, or in those states. You've not been to Oyo? Ogun. Okay, but you speak English. You better. I've been preaching English for the last two hours. <laughs> Are you understandable? You do? Are you sure? Okay. Now, will it be right of me to want to deliver you from a bomb about to go off? And I'll say, because you do not learn Yoruba, I will not speak English or Igbo, that I know you can speak. The bomb is going off in 15 seconds. I'm shouting for you, Kurumbe, Kurumbe, Kurumbe. He said, Pastor, what did you say? Kurumbe, ah. And you're like, what? No, think about it. Will it make sense for me to be there discussing with you? When I'm aware your English is fluent, I'm aware your understanding of Igbo is impeccable. And I can speak everyone. I forgot that other part. Am I not God? You get my point? Will it be right of me to insist you learn Yoruba before I deliver you? And let's be honest. Let us assume you are deaf and you don't hear anything. What do you think I would do? I will grab you, pull you, and drag you out of the building. You will thank me later. <laughs> As I'm grabbing you, you are fighting. Then when I see you are too strong, I bring hammer, knock your head. When you become <laughs> unconscious. Yeah, when you wake up later and you see that the building is gone, you'll be singing my praise everywhere. If human beings can do that, how much more God? I hope you're getting my point. If God has to talk, he knows the language you speak. When Abimelech was misbehaving, he came to the dream. When we said that was Old Testament, forget that thing, it's the same God today. He led Paul in a dream. Come over to Macedonia and help us. He's still leading in dreams. He can send an angel to talk to you. Say, my guy, we have been trying to communicate with you since you wouldn't hear. Now we have come physically. You will hear it. What God cannot tolerate is those who are stubborn to the things that he has written for everybody. Love your neighbor as yourself. They don't obey that. Don't take any thought for tomorrow. Don't worry. They don't obey that. The things he has said to everybody, they, are, they, are not, they have not practiced it. They now want to practice how to hear their spirit. God is looking at them and saying, wow. I can speak every language. It is not true that God cannot communicate with, through environmental things. If God doesn't want you to go somewhere, he can close the door. He can. One of our brothers told me something, one story some time ago. He was very angry with his boss. So he said he was resigning from the office. So he entered his car and drove. As he was heading for the man's house, the car started smoking. You know this kind of smoke that is coming from inside the car, not outside. So he stopped, wound down, managed to drag the car back home, and they never found out why it smoked. He called the, the mechanic electrician. They checked and checked. There was not, next time inside the car, there was no smoke. They checked inside that there was nothing wrong with the car. What was his interpretation? And I agree with him. The Holy Spirit said, don't go. But he wanted to go. God said, okay, he didn't hear me clearly. I know him. He will obey me. So he told one angel, turn to smoke. <laughs> the angel turned to smoke. Or maybe the angel buy benzene. I hope you're getting my point. He knew his son would get the point. There was a time I was about to embark on a useless journey. I found out later I was a user. As I was, you know, when, that's our road, that four corner to Udi Road, you know, that back road through the hills. There's a part that you, you have to, there's a kind of a climb, a sharp climb. 
As I was climbing it, I realized that my car was not moving. I fired the car, it was just jerking, going very, very slowly. And I reasoned, I have two hours ahead of me, I'm just leaving home. The car is behaving like this. I turned, picked my phone, apologized to the people that I was supposed to meet. It turned out to be a useless meeting. Let me just leave it like that. Basically, the meeting did not hold. And it was going to be a useless travel. The meeting did not hold. God didn't tell me anything because he saw the integrity of my heart and the hearts of the other people that were coming for the meeting. So as I was living in Enugu, he said, Banky, don't waste your time. My car refused to fire properly. Use that car like that for the next three weeks, one month. Before I finally changed, fixed whatever. It just manifested dramatically. I turned back and I went home. My car had entered the ditch before. I decided that this car, you are here for a certain reason. That when the Lord is ready, you will come out. Was it like 30 minutes of our time? After that, it came out of the ditch. God leads different ways. Nobody should tell you that he doesn't lead through the environment. He does. There are times he knows that this boy, this girl will soon travel to where he's not supposed to go. And you, got, you now go to ATM. You seize your card. I say, when you, when you not see money now, see, go, go now. <laughs> no, you, you put your card into the ATM machine. You ping, 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 ping. That's the end of it. Contact your bank. Oh, I found, did I remember that it was Friday afternoon? <laughs> Till Monday, nobody to lend you money. The only person you could count on traveled on Friday, that in the Friday morning. You will check yourself, check, 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 check. At the end of the day, just settle down. There's no need. Do you follow my point? There's no need to kill yourself. God said, don't go. That's all he has said. He has made it. Paul said we wanted to come, but we were hindered. What does that mean? Different ways. He said, Timothy, let's go. Timothy said, okay, pray. He said, why should I pray? There's no money for transport. How much you get? Five dinari. Go and buy paper. Buy ink. Right. We wanted to come. We were hindered. Any balance? Two dinari. Take and post them. Send them to them. We wanted to come. We were hindered. Wait till hinder them. We will never find out. I hope you're getting my point. What we need, really, is a heart that thinks the way the Lord thinks. Ready to obey what has been revealed. When such a person, when God finds him, when God finds her, listen. If he has to shout into your ears, when you need to hear a special communication, he will shout. The time will come when you will even become aware of the special way by which God communicates with you. Those things, listen to me, cannot be written in books. For each individual, it is unique. I hope you've gotten my point. Let's bow down here. Let's say, Father, thank you for the truth about sonship. Let's just thank him. Say, Lord, we thank you for enlightening our hearts. Say, Lord, we thank you for enlightening our hearts, for changing us, for making us like Jesus Christ progressively. Lord, we thank you. Let me just give you a minute. Anytime prayers, um, preaching comes up like this, different people have different things they want to say to the Lord. Quickly say your own, quickly say your own. You have a minute, just do that. You have a minute, just, just say what you need to say to him. Pray for your loved one, take a minute also, pray for somebody. Help him become like Christ, help her become like Christ. In the name of Jesus we have prayed. Alright, Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your blessing. I bless your people, Lord, again with your name. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Concerning you, Jesus is the healer. He is the savior. 
He is the Redeemer. Amen. He wipes out ancestral curses. Amen. This is the name of the Lord Jesus. He that paid to cast away all our past, including the curses thereof, buried them in the grave and left them there. That is the name of Jesus. I invoke that name upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, I declare every ancestral curse that has been scared in you has been broken. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Even if it was residing in your genes, I command a correction to it now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the name of the Lord Jesus. Himself took our infirmities and our diseases. He is it, it is that by his stripes we have been healed. I invoke that name upon you also. Therefore, healing is your portion in Jesus' name. Amen. On the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you are healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every addiction. He said, he has come to set the captives free. Every addiction in your life is broken. Amen. Your sins are forgiven you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, you have the power to say no. Let nobody lie to you. You, you have the power to say no. Because the spirit of Christ Jesus, that same spirit that raises us from the dead, is working in you and is giving life to your mortal body. In the name of Jesus Christ.